Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. Yeah, and I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. Well, welcome back again this week to our Bible study. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. We've got a small crowd because of the weather outside, but we're still going to dive into the Word of God. Why not? Today we're going to be talking about kingdom and a snake. We talked about kingdom beginning. And we, we went through, oh, by the way, all of these are on my YouTube page, and they're all on our Facebook page. So if you missed a week, go back and check it out. You'd probably really enjoy it, Jude, because I, uh, I didn't just stay on the surface. Like, not, it, my goal isn't to teach what the church isn't teaching that's in the Bible, but my goal is to teach truth. And with that, we kind of get a little bit of a mix. But uh, gets deep. Well, I'm not afraid to teach what's in the Bible, whether it's been taught to me before in church or not. I want to make sure that we got a firm grip on the Bible. So I talked about the kingdom beginning, and I talked about before we even started. I painted it all about Jesus Christ being out throughout the whole Bible. So I talked. I read all the scriptures that show us that He's in the beginning. Then we went back and we we talked about Him being there in creation, and we went through all of that. Then we talked about Him creating man and him creating woman. And it was really cool because it led us into a discussion about marriage and how God brings you your spouse. You don't go find one. And good conversation about that. But today we're going to look at the introduction to sin into this world, which is uh, kind of important because now we're stuck dealing with all this aftermath. So we're calling it kingdom and a snake. And we're going to be dealing mainly with Genesis chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to stick with this. I got a few more coming after this. We're going to do the kingdom in a boat. We're going to do kingdom in a tower. We're gonna, and then we're going to go into Abraham and Moses. And we're going to get into all that. But these first couple chapters in the Bible, we tend to skip over them because they were so long ago. And then most people don't believe half of what's in there. And all, but I believe the whole Bible is the word of God. I believe if it wasn't, Jesus would have pointed that out. If he would have been like, Hold on, guys. Let me just let you know. Moses got it a little wrong. I actually used evolution, and it took billions and millions of years. But since Jesus never says that, and he actually said that all of the scripture is completely accurate, then that means the timelines that it tells us in the beginning of the Bible are accurate. And therefore, our world is only 5,000 and so many years old. And if people don't like it, then they're going to have to take it up with God when they get to heaven. Because I didn't write the book. But it's there. But now we're going to talk about the introduction to sin into this world. Because now we're all dealing with the ravages of sin. We did the Bible study, Why Is God So Good? And that dealt with a lot with sin. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in this sinful world. So how did this begin? And it all began with the kingdom and a snake. A serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals. And the Lord God had made, not and, the Lord God. I made it an and there, but there's not. Talking about not adding to the word of God. And here I started right off the bat. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden? So this is like the first attempt at Satan to get man to fall. And he doesn't start off with telling her that she needs to know something. He doesn't start off with battling God. He doesn't he all he starts off with is a simple little question. Did God really say that you must not eat of that tree? He opposed the question to it. Now, this is the Garden of Eden. 
This is where everything's perfect. This is where everything's beautiful. It, how much easier is it for the devil to so content into our lives today when we're dealing with garbage and life's not perfect and everything's not fair? And, but here we have a perfect situation. Everything's fair. Everything's going good. And he starts it all off just by a simple question. Did he really say that? And he also started off with this question is not exactly accurate. So he, he, he sneaked how he laid this out for her. All right, I'm going to ask you. Yeah, you got something? Do you think that the garden is still like here on earth? Do you think that it's still like very, very much there? Very deep question. The angel is still guarding That's a deep, deep question. I think about that. I have thought about that a lot. And I've, and I've done some research on it where people... I've, I've seen both sides of it where some scholars say that they do believe it's still on the earth. We just haven't been able to find but it. That was pre-flood, right? Yes. And then that's and the, the other argument. Then there's the other down. side of the argument that it was buried during the flood. There are some archaeological people that believe that they do have, they have found the location. general location of where the garden was. They haven't found the actual garden itself. But they believe that they have found where the garden would have been before the flood. I know one thing, and if God says you're not going to touch that tree again, then we're never going to find it. We're never going to have access to it. So until we get to heaven one day, and that's another theory that I've heard is that it was removed from earth and brought to paradise, where we were going to be able to eat of it again one day. But I think God can plant and grow trees pretty easy, so He might not have had to transplant that one. Yeah. <laughs> But, so he says, can you not eat? And she says, of course we may eat from the tree in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat from. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, God actually said more than that. He said, if you touch it, you will die this day. That very day you'll die. Mm -hmm. Now, that's very important. Because why? what's the difference between that and what actually takes place? God says if you eat from the tree, you'll die today. Adam lived 900 and so many years. Yes. Yes. It was like 994 or something. Exactly. It was like right, it was just shy of a thousand years. Right. And one of the things we talked about last week was the fact that when God created Adam, he created Adam in his image. And what does that mean? Being created in God's image. And we talked about 1 Thessalonians where it says we want you to be made whole in mind, or body, spirit, and soul. And I feel like that is an unlock for us to understand how we are made. Because in the beginning, God formed the body of Adam out of the dust of the ground. Then he breathed his spirit into his nostrils. Breath is spirit. That's, that's what his breath is, our spirit. So he breathed that into his nostrils. And then it says, and then he became a living soul. So when Adam was created, he was created filled with the Holy Spirit. With the moment God breathed into his mouth, he had the Holy Spirit. Now, here we, we're going to see here that Adam doesn't die. But we know that God promised him a death. And a death is when your spirit leaves your body. That's a form of dying. So Adam goes through a spiritual death in the Old Testament. But then we also know that a thousand years into the Lord is a day, or a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So that's referring to two realms. It's referring to the spiritual and to the natural. So though Adam died spiritually on earth, it still took a thousand years naturally to take place. But God's word is always confirmed. 
That's that's a big that's a big unlock because a lot of people use those scriptures to twist up Christians. Well, God told Adam he died. He lived nine hundred years. See, but they don't understand the spiritual death that took place there. Most of them haven't been spiritually born, so how could they ever experience spiritual death? So she says we won't die. Or no, she says we must not eat or touch it. If we do, we'll die. And he says you won't die. The serpent replies to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So God knows good and evil. God has other things created in his image. We talked a lot about that last week. Who also knew good and evil. The serpent knew good and evil. He knew what was going on. Eve didn't. So that's why he's playing games with her here. He's like, oh, well, you, you can be like us. But we were made a little lower than the angels. So the woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious. So she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Now, it specifically points out the fact that her husband was with her. She did not go off and meet the snake by herself. Her and Adam were hanging out the whole time the snake was talking. Adam stood idly by with his mouth shut while his wife was convinced to do the one thing God commanded her not to do. He never spoke up. He never, never played his role, which this will play in a lot to the curses that we're about to see come down on them whenever they, whenever they uh, made this mistake. I think it's a big thing, too, looking at this and realizing that the serpent never lied to her. He didn't lie. He just came in and caused confusion. Well, he just... I think he did at one point. When he said, you won't die, he lied. He said, you won't die. And that was a lie. She yeah. died, and she died, she and died. we still died. And if she would, and honestly, if she wouldn't have believed that, yeah. she probably wouldn't have ate it. If he would have told her, but that's the thing, he sprinkled yeah. one little lie in the middle of a crowd of truth. Yeah. So he gave all this truth, he even asked her for some truth. What did God really say? She gave him the truth. He's like, oh, yeah, truth is good. Look, I got all this other truth through here. You won't die. And he slips that in the middle of it. And if she would have caught that one little lie, she wouldn't have fell. But the greatest lie are the ones that are closest to the truth. If you tell somebody, if I tell somebody that I wrestled a gorilla and beat it, you know, people aren't going to believe me. But if I tell them, you know, this little short guy came over and I pushed him on the ground, they might believe that because it's a little more believable. And it, it, both of them can be a complete lie, but the bigger lie is going to get caught first because the small one that just has a little bit in there, you're not going to see it like she didn't see it. So she was convinced, she ate it, she gave it to her husband, he stood idly by, he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, here's something God just spoke to me about. They were already naked. They were already created to sin. Man is born one day in full sin. So they weren't perfect. They were made with flaws. But God still loved them. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it just so many times the devil wants to beat people up for things that they've done bad. I'm more I'm erring on the other side of it where it's like, okay, we can't continue to sin for God's grace to abound. But God's grace does abound. Like I get that we don't want to make a practice of living in sin because we don't want to destroy our lives. 
And every, every sin comes with death and destruction. But that does not ever limit the amount of love that God has for us. Because Adam and Eve were created perfect. He honestly gave them a get out of free card in the beginning. He was like, yeah, you guys are made. You're going to mess up. You're going to sin. But I'm not holding any of it against you. You guys don't eat from that one tree and none of it will be held against you. So many times in this life, people are like, that's, that's what they want out of life. I don't understand why I can't just do whatever I want to do and just not really get in trouble. Well, that was exactly what God created for us. If we wouldn't have messed that up, that's where we'd still be living today. However, I think God is brilliant because he knew his plan was going to be better. He didn't want us just, ah, oh, this is good. He didn't want us just to live in sin. The whole fact was to get us out of sin. So yes, he knew even Adam wasn't going to bite that apple when he made him. He knew, but he also knew that through that would come redemption power. He would sacrifice his son. He would create a new heaven and a new universe, and we will live in that world, and there will be no sin. So he's like, instead of allowing, oh my God, that's so good. That's all from the Holy Ghost, because I ain't that smart. But instead of allowing people to just live in their sin and cover it up, which is what he could have done, which is what he was doing in the beginning. He was like, how about I make it to where my spirit can come inside you, change everything about you, and there won't be any sin. And that's the same thing that goes on today in our world. God can, God can come in and cover up your sin. He can make it like the beginning. If we decide to follow him and we decide to give our life to yeah, him, he, he can right. tolerate all of our sin. He can keep wiping it clean. And you know what? The church doesn't like that. <laughs> the church does not like that. They think, you know, even once you mess up three times, let's boot you to the curb. Not our church. Our church is a godly church. A real church. Send me your sick. Send me your hungry. Send me your hurting. We're going we're gonna to show them Jesus. We're going to heal them. We're going to make it better. But a lot of other churches, they don't tolerate that at all. As soon as you mess up, get out. Get out. This guy is not living for God. He can't come here no more. How dare son come to my church? I remember pastor right. would come up to Daniel every Sunday. I don't care what you did Saturday. I don't care what happened Friday. You come to the house of God on Sunday morning. Amen. You need right. God. I am afraid that you're sitting awful close to that microphone. You might be, uh, they might be able to hear you better than they can hear me. <laughs> but, um, no, I like hearing you on there anyways. But they'll still pick you up. But, uh, no, that's, that's really good. So God is in the process of not leaving us in our sin. It's the same thing when we get when we get saved. People are like, oh, well, you get saved. Now you got all these rules and you can't do this and you can't do that. That's not how God works. Yes, he saves me. And then he removes the sin from my life. My job is to acknowledge it. My job is to pray against it. And my, guys, my, my job is to turn towards him and expect him to clean that and fix that in my life. And thank God he's always faithful and he always does. But even in this situation, he didn't want to leave them in this situation. So, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt no shame, and they covered themselves. When the cool evening breeze was blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. This is, this always, this one passage always brings me back to, that's what we were designed to do. We were designed to hang out in the garden and wait until the evening and spend time with the king in the garden. Like that was the greatest kingdom. If we would have only stopped from eating that apple, if we would have only stayed in that state, we would still be there. And we're always in the process of getting back to the garden. 
So our goal in life is to get back to that point. To that point where all we do is hang out in the garden and wait till the cool of the evening so we can spend time with our king. And that's, that, that's always where I want to find myself. But they heard the Lord walking in the garden and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. This also shows us. This last week I talked about being courageous in Christ. And I talked about, I showed like three or four different scriptures in the Bible where it talks about be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be filled with fear, but be full of courage. This is the first reaction God has when his world is messed up. The first, re, the first emotion that he sees out of man after man fell was fear. Which is why God doesn't want to see that in us. Which is why he wants us to live a life that's fearless. Because this shows him and reminds him every time of how we let him down. But if I can be full of courage and I can be strength, full of strength, then I can live in a manner that shows God that I understand what Christ has done for me. I understand where I stand in his kingdom right now. But if I'm full of fear and I'm scared and I might be going to hell and the devil's going to take me out and everything's not going to work out in my life, then I'm not, I'm not showing that I'm in that kingdom mind, that I'm taking care of God's God. But I'm still like them naked in the garden. I don't know what we're going to do. So, who told you you were naked? The Lord asked him. This is, you know, the, I'm glad I'm teaching this today. I know we got a small crowd and people are going to have to watch this on recording. But the Holy Ghost is hitting this like fire. Who told you you were naked? How many times do we go to God and we, oh God, I messed up. Oh, God, I sinned. Oh, God, I did this wrong. Oh, God, I'm not going to make it to heaven. And he's sitting there saying, who's telling you that you're naked? Didn't I cover you with my blood? Didn't I pay that price? But you're still listening to that serpent that's telling you that you're naked? You're no longer naked. We, we're not Adam and Eve in the garden no more with the taste of the apple in our mouth right now. I've moved past that. Now Christ has come. Christ has restored all things. So I no longer have to be afraid because I'm naked. I understand now that God's blood covers me. That yes, I still have sin in my life. That's why it covers me. If I was perfect, it wouldn't need to cover me no more. But I'm always going to be covered in that. We've got to remember that not to let the devil convince us that we're still naked. We're not still naked. The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replies, it was the woman. She gave it to me. <laughs> you gave me. He says, not only does he say it's the woman, but he says it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> He's like, it was the woman that you placed in my life, God. And we still do that today. Oh, God, I messed up because you have helped me and you did this in my situation. That's why people are asking that question. Why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen if God's so good? Because you gave me it, God. It was all your fault. But the, then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replies. That's why I ate it. 
Then the Lord God said to the serpent. So right away, he asked, this is, this is a great demonstration of God's redemption power too. He goes to the woman, or he goes to the man. You did something wrong. What happened? He says, it wasn't me. It was a woman that you gave me, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't, he doesn't start striking out punishment right away. This shows how God's patience and mercy really, really works. He goes to the woman. What happened? She's like, it was a serpent. He doesn't, he doesn't discipline her right away. He doesn't lash out punishment right away. But then he goes to the angel. So the man and the woman are both given time. To, they're given time to repent, to think about what they've done wrong. Now, granted, Christ's blood hasn't been shed yet. So they don't get to just repent like they should. But he's given them time to think about what they've done wrong. The serpent, however, he doesn't. The serpent, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. I will curse hostility between you. I will cause hostility. Curse, you can curse it too. I will cause hostility between you. Where am I? I just totally lost my spot. Yeah, I know what it's going to say there, but I can't find it. <laughs> there it is. Between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Is he still talking to the serpent at this point? Yes. He's talking to the serpent, but then he starts explaining what will go on. I will call, he says, you're cursed, you'll crawl on your belly, gravel in the dust as long as you live. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now he's talking about mankind and Jesus too. He will strike your head and you will strike his tail, which in some versions it says crush. You will crush his head. Yeah. And when he was talking about serpent, is that necessarily mean it wasn't Snake always. It was never a snake. Well, what it was, it was Lucifer. Yeah. It was it was the devil. Now, what we're what we're seeing here is a couple of is a couple of really deep subjects. For one, we see that angels, archangels, can take form on earth. They can take the form. <laughs> Two, they can speak. She wasn't, she wasn't scared when she seen it speak. She wasn't scared. She was like, they were in the garden. They were in the midst of the heavenly bodies. They seen the court of God. They watched his heavenly, his heavenly beings. Now they were in this natural realm, but they understood the supernatural realm. God walked in their presence. That alone changes the whole dynamic between spiritual and realistic and worldly, I guess you'd say. But so they uh, had they had an understanding of these of these supernatural beings. They they understood that they I don't think Eve thought she was just talking to a snake. She didn't think she was talking to a snake. I think that has to do a lot with her opinion on what he said. Because if, if a snake would have just rolled up and been like, hey you should eat that, she'd be like, you're, what what are you? You're an animal. You're under me. They were given dominion over the animals. So she would have told the snake, I'm going to tell you what to do. You're wrong. But this was something that she appeared as more powerful than she was. It was something that she looked up to, which mankind has continued to do all through the Bible. And we're going to see that. We're going to see how mankind, why, like we were told 
in Deuteronomy, do not worship the heavens or the beings from heaven like other nations do. So they worship these gods. Paul says that if an angel comes down, you don't worship it. How many times did they fall at the feet of the angels? The angels were like, get up. Don't worship me. Don't you dare. I, I'm, I'm not accepting your worship. Did you like that as a vampire? <laughs> I'm not accepting your worship because I understand what happened. Jesus told them in the beginning, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning. He's like, I understand what happens when you go against God's word. I'm not making that mistake. We, a lot of the angels that you'll see, Gabriel or Michael, they don't want to make that mistake. They understand that, God's, that God deserves all the glory, that God's going to get all the praise. And I, I'm not going to meddle with human beings. But not all of them are that way. We hear about angels that are going to be chained, that are chained in Tartarus under the Euphrates. We hear about that. We know the Bible teaches that. Peter did. Paul talked about it. Then in the new translation, it transitions from these sons of God, heavenly being statement to demons, demons and devils. And that's what we use today. And for years, the church wouldn't even touch some of these topics because they used the word sons of God and angels. And they were like, we're going to leave that alone. But we, we clearly see how that evolves into being used to reference demons. Do you, do you think the reason that when we hear, you know, serpent and we go straight to a snake is just because of the depiction that human minds, you know, try to comprehend? And so in all the drawings and everything we've ever grown up with has been a snake. Yeah, I also think it's a little bit of a trick for the devil to get us to focus on the outside instead of right. looking at the story right. that lies in the inside. Now, he, it could have been a snake. It could have been a dragon. It could, I, think it could, I think it's more likely a dragon because he talks about him groveling on the ground after that. So I feel like he changed the, the whole appearance of a snake because that being used that to deceive man. But I, but I also think that there's a, lot, there's a lot of deeper stuff there that we need to focus on and not get caught up on some of the wording. And it's, and it's the same thing with, with a lot of them. The same thing with the apple. Was it really an apple? Do apples even grow there? Was it a pomegranate? Was it some other kind of heavenly fruit? Who knows? But I don't think that's what's so important about the story. I don't feel like it's inadequate. I don't feel like it's not accurate. I believe when we get to heaven, there's going to be some explanation, which will show us how it makes so much sense. But I also think that we can learn from a lot of the things that are plainly given to us. People do the same thing with revelations. Revelation, I love Revelations. I love listening to it. I read it. I study it a lot. And then I, I listen to other people who read and study and teach Revelations. And I'm like, whoa. It like turns into like this fairy tale land. It's like they would rather focus on everything that they don't understand about Revelations instead of focusing on the things that we do understand. Like, what is the bear? What is the leopard? What is the eagle? What, are, what did the seven eyes stand for? Who knows? John wrote the book and he said he didn't know. When John got done, he was like, this is more than I can understand. This is some craziness. I don't get it. And honestly, like that's, that's how that realm is. So for us now, not having the vision, just having a, a phone call conversation with the guy who did, isn't going to give us clear understanding on what he actually perceived. However, we do know that he clearly says, you will not be able to buy or sell without a mark on your hand. That's something that I, that I should put some interest in. There are other things in Revelations that are, that are very apparent. The angels over the churches. Somebody brought that up in the beginning, or in the last couple weeks ago. It was mind-blowing. Because I was talking about, and we're going to get there when we get to the kingdom and the tower. But I was talking about the uh, God dividing up the nations. 
and God setting archangels over those nations to be their gods. And we were talking about that. And a lot of people struggle with that concept. And they're like, what are you talking about? And we're like, king of kings, lord of lords, god of gods. So he made these gods to reign over them who weren't gods. They, were, they weren't creating, they, but, but they did reign over those nations. And you see that little still G's. today. Little G's. Yeah, the little G's. They're not the big G's, but they're little G's. And technically they're called sons of God. They're called archangels. We, we refer to them with a lot of different terms. And in the New Testament, we call them devils and demons. And the way they run this world, I would see them being called devils and demons. But it also, you know, I feel like that's important. Because when people get this, God is, why is God so good, and a lot of bad things, that's one of the answers that we can hand them, is that it's not my God. But you are you are being held to a God. And he, and he is watching bad things happen in life, and he doesn't care. And Psalms, 90, or Psalms 82 really talks about how God, God actually like disciplines them and tells them, I said you were gods, but you're going to die like mortals. Jesus references it too when they start talking to him about being the son of God. He references that point. But we're seeing that there are supernatural beings. So we, we understand this concept here, but we, we wouldn't get that if we focus on the snake. We're, we're kind of losing the whole, the, whole, the whole sight of it all. And we're gonna. That's why God says that He will strike. He will strike His head, or He will He will crush your head, and you will bite His heel. He's like, in the end of the day, we're gonna judge angels. We're gonna judge angels. There's gonna come a time in Judgment Day, according to this Bible, when all of these angels that ruled over nations are gonna be brought before God, and man is gonna stand up and talk about what they did that was not right, and they're gonna be judged accordingly. And the last Bible study someone pointed out, they were like, is that why in Revelations it says these letters are written to the angels over those churches? And I was like, that is so good. I think it was Simeon, our little mini preacher back here. But he, it, I was like, that is golden. Because I've read Revelations a lot and I missed that point. And that was something that he pointed out, is that even today, even over the churches, God still has set up angels to rule over them. And we, we should be aware of that. And we should be using that to our credit. When Daniel fasted and prayed, God didn't just give him the answer. God sent an angel. And when that angel got tied up, he called on a bigger angel. And Michael came and helped him, fought with the prince of Persia while the angel delivered the message to Daniel. So I feel like a lot of times in our life, we, we want to call down firepower from God. And we want God to physically step in and solve our situation. But we should be like the Roman officer who says, you don't got to come to my house. Send, send your help. Send your angels. I feel like we should be doing that in our life. Instead of saying, God, yeah, please touch this person who's laying in a hospital bed right now. We can pray. God, send an angel to help them. Because the angels ministered to Jesus. They healed. They performed miracles. They did all kinds of amazing things in the Bible. I'm not going to worship an angel, but I expect them to obey the word of God. So if I pray and God commands an angel to go fix my situation, I can count on that. So, and we need to see that the kingdom is bigger. God has people in place to govern over things. That's why he made man. Where to govern over the earth. He could have governed it himself. He chose not to. You do it. That's your job now. I'm the king. Go hang out in my castle. <laughs> and how much greater of a king is he than some of the, these, you know, we have a, a vague reference of a king. We don't really understand what the king of the world and the king of the universe is really all about. Stephon gave a great oh, today. Yes, he did. He always does. So then God says to the woman, 
Now this is where we start to see the effects of sin in life. And he says to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. That was the curse of sin. That is what we're stuck living in now because of what happened there. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it, but it will go, it will grow thorns and thistles for you through, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you shall return. This is a curse. This is something that men are forced to do too. Women don't want to go through pain for pregnancy. I wouldn't either. <laughs> men don't want to have to work for their whole life. And nobody should ever want to. But here we are, stuck dealing with the sin. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, what was that? Yes, and for sacrifice. Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing now. Here we go again. We talked about God speaking in the plural form last time. God said, let us make man in our image. Then he, singularly, made man in his own image. So we hear him speaking to a host of people, saying, let us make God or man in our own image. So there are more things that are made in God's image than just man. We see that clearly here in the Bible. And again here in this passage, we see it again. God is not speaking to himself when he says, look, the human beings have become like us. For one, if he would have, if God would have been just speaking to himself, then that means that we're as powerful as God. And we're not. So God wasn't talking to himself, but he was talking to other things that are made in his image that still are not God with a big G. They still can't do the things he did. They couldn't create people. They, can't, they couldn't do those things. But they were made in his image, which means they have the likeness of God, just like we do. They're soul, spirit, and body. They can manifest in body form. We've seen that. The Bible tells us, be careful when you entertain strangers, because you could be entertaining an angel, because angels can take human form. That's what he was explaining to us in those scriptures. And we see that throughout this Bible here. But he says they have become like us, knowing both good and evil. Now that tells us something else too. These beings know good and evil. It's not like they don't get it. The serpent knew what he was doing was bad. He did not understand. He knew the angels that reigned over territories knew what they were doing was wrong. That's why in Psalm 82 he says, you, you, you've abandoned the orphans, you've left the widows, you, you haven't fed the hungry, you're not doing the things that you should be doing because you know good and evil. It wasn't like man who didn't know good and evil. Satan knew it was evil. God didn't kick Satan out of heaven because he accidentally stepped on something. That wasn't it. He knew what he was doing. He knew that he was trying to take power from God. 
He knew that he was prideful and that he was standing up and he knew it was wrong and he did it anyways. And that's why he fell. That's why he lost redemption. And here we are knowing both good and evil just like they did. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and sent Adam to cultivate the ground from which he was made. After sending them out, the Lord God sustained, or stationed mighty cherubim in the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So, we're going to end here in this Bible. But before we go, I just want to point out one little thing that took place in the Bible. Adam ate the apple and he fell. He died a spiritual death. The Spirit of God left Adam when he ate that apple. The garden was in the middle of three waters, three rivers in the center of it all. Then God chased Adam out through the waters. And the first thing we're going to see that Adam does when he gets outside, I don't know if we're going to see that he does, because I think we're going to the next chapter here. But the next thing we know is that God sacrificed animals, made them clothing, and they sacrificed to God. The way out of the garden is always the way back into the garden. That's why we repent. We sacrifice our flesh and we repent. We go through the waters of baptism and we enter back into the spirit-filled life. And that's exactly the way God planned it for a reason. They left that way, we enter back in that way. That's why no processes can be left out. I can't live in the Garden of Eden. I can't be back in paradise with the king if I'm not willing to walk through the water. I'm not, I'm not able to even think about walking through the water if I haven't made a sacrifice and sacrificed myself. Now, it doesn't always have to be in that order. Right? I, we've seen, we've read in the Bible places where people are filled with the Holy Spirit and then they go out and get baptized. But the process has to take place. We have to sacrifice, go through the water and be filled with the Holy Ghost. If we expect to be back into the kingdom of God. That's why the kingdom of God is such an important concept throughout the whole New Testament. Is he wanted him to understand, you guys left my kingdom. Right here, God kicks them out of his kingdom. Okay, you guys didn't listen. You, you disobeyed my commandment. Now you guys can know what's right and wrong. And I know that you were made wrong, so you're going to mess up. You can't be in my kingdom. You've got to exit my kingdom. And it wasn't until you know, 4,000 years later that Christ came, died on the cross. And that's why it's so important that God took all of the curses of the cross with him. He paid the full penalty. All of the curses that we see in this Bible are hung on that cross. That's why it's important for us to understand that. Women can, can have an easier life God can make their pain go away in childbirth. He can cause that to be easier. He can make the struggle between them and their husband a lot easier if we're in that fellowship with him. If not, we're going to have a rougher time. It's the same thing with man. We're going to be scratching out a living every day, every, every day of our life, and it's going to be hard and complicated. But we see people who get into the kingdom of God, and they don't worry about money ever again. We see that take place. We see God do miraculous things in people's life because Christ took all of that on the cross. Now, a lot of that has to do with our faith, too. I've got I've to put my faith towards that. 
I, if I don't understand the fact that God took all the curses, then, I, then I'm going to live in a different way. Once I start understanding that, it's, it's a whole lot different. Once I understood the fact that Abraham said, you, you're never going to borrow again. You're going to loan to many nations. Once I understood that and I put my faith in that, I haven't been borrowing money. Like I used to have to borrow money because I didn't understand that concept. But once I put my faith in that, and I was like, oh, I see it, God. You took that curse on the cross. I had this concept in my brain that there was no way to get back to that paradise on this earth. That we were going to die in our sin and then finally be remade in God's image. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Christ came to be the hope of the world. He came to bring justice to the nation. He came now to set the wrong right. Now, it's a process. And, you know, I'm not saying everybody should just quit their job and be like, God's going to take care of me. It's a process. It's a process of walking in faith. It's a process of understanding. It's, it's a process of God working things out in your life. But I do know that that was Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was to take the curse off this earth. And the closer we walk with him, the more faith that we put in him, the more we understand this word and what he actually did for us, the more we live and breathe in him and live in paradise with him. So let's wrap it up. Let's do a little prayer and we'll get out of here. Dear Lord Jesus, touch our hearts and minds today, God. Thank you for your word, Lord. Allow this to sink into our hearts, Lord, and affect the way we think and the way we react to you, Lord. We praise you and thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.